We're continuing on in our series um, in Ephesians, finding our true identity. Really excited about today's message and excited about the scripture that our brother is going to share with us. This is from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And uh, as you remember, it's about the mystery of what Christ did for us. And uh, uh, because we didn't have a God before Jesus Christ came and died for us and rose again in the cross. And so this is 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that in a powerful section? I just, I read that over and over again this week, and I am just, wow, God's word is alive, it is powerful, it is earth-shattering, and this morning we're going to share together as we continue our theme of discovering our true identity in Jesus, and this morning we're going to be talking about, as you saw the front of your bulletin, that we are people of destiny. Is it, that's just a powerful thought that I've been just living in this week, that God has a purpose for us being here. God has a future that he has planned for us, and it's a, it's a full future. It's a holy future. It's a powerful future. It's a passionate future. It's a purposeful future, and those aren't even in my notes. Those aren't even the points. It is who God has called us, how he has called us to live, the identity that he wants us to discover as we live our lives Remember that important phrase, in Christ. All of those things are found in our relationship with Jesus, and they're found nowhere else. And so I have four ideas that I want to share, four themes that Paul shares in this powerful passage about our identity, about who God wants us to become, and how he helps us to become that. And they are as rich as a truth as you'll ever find anywhere in the Bible. And you see the first one on your screen. We have a Father who gives to us lavishly. And as we, as we live our life in the church, as we live our Christianity out into the world, as we experience God in our own heart, it is my prayer that we know that we have a Father who wants to give to us lavishly. We see in that passage in verse 16, remember Paul is praying. And uh, I read some sermons this week that, that this was a passage about prayer. And I was like, well, it talks about him praying. It talks about how he prays and talks about what he prays. But I want to talk about those things. I want to talk about what God wants to do in you and what God wants to do in me, the destiny that he has sealed for us in this prayer. And so he says that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. 
in your inner being. Out of God's glorious riches, he might give us strength. Now, Paul isn't talking about God's 401k reserves. He's not talking about God's heavenly bank account or the everlasting supply of heavenly asphalt that we all know is gold, right? He's talking about an eternal gift that God the Father wants to give to us through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, that we would be forever changed by our interaction, by our encounter with the living powerful, earth-moving, heart-changing, soul-rendering God. And from the very beginning of this book, Paul has been trying to help us to understand that life in Christ means that our life becomes all about Jesus, right? It is because God came before the world began that we would be ordained, predestined, according to his love to know him. From the very beginning of time, God's plan was for us to experience our full destiny nowhere else and in no one else but in Jesus. And we would only find our true purpose in life because we know him in a personal, powerful, life-changing way. So God designed this plan known as salvation, that Jesus would come and give his life so that we would know the way to the cross ourselves. We would know that it would be nothing but the blood that could wash away our sin, and it was Jesus' blood that was shed. So Paul starts off this prayer, I pray that out of God's riches, he would strengthen you with power. Out of God's amazing riches, he would give you what? Well, strength, so that you would have power. Now, I looked at your, both answers are right. You need to be strong in order to be powerful, right? It's a step, it's a crescendo. He's building, it's like an avalanche starting on the top of Mount Everest and building momentum. This is is what Paul is doing in this prayer. He starts at the beginning that out of God's riches, he would give you the strength to know Jesus. Now, the the word that Paul uses in this passage uh, in one translation is only used one other time in the Bible, and it's used about John the Baptist when he, in a sense, comes of age. He has been gaining strength in the desert, and at the time of maturity and fulfillment of God's destiny for his life, as he walked with God, in a sense, he arrives on the scene, and the world was never the same, was it? The same kind of experiences, at least in the grammar, is what Paul is trying to say to you and I that we would journey in our life and journey so that we would come to a place where we're strong enough, we're courageous enough to say, God, I could never do this on my own. All the times that I've tried to, to make myself happy have failed. All the times that I've tried to secure contentment away from you have broken my heart. All the times that I've looked somewhere else for that relationship and that love have just ended in heartbreak. And we finally have the courage and the strength to admit our strong need of him. So God would bring us to the place of strength so that we would have the inner power to do what? To have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. God's destiny for you and for me was 
to be strong enough to admit that we need him. We live in a world that doesn't want anything to do with God, with Jesus, or the church in so many ways. And they think that's strength. They think that's being smart. They think that's being loving. They think that's being understanding of the people around them. And Paul says, true inner strength is when we come to admit that we need Jesus to come and dwell in our hearts forever. Some people like to think of their relationship with Jesus or a relationship with Jesus like going to a hotel, right? How many of you stayed in a hotel? Some of you have never stayed in a hotel or a motel ever or something like it or your hand's just not working today. Well, have you ever gone to a hotel and said, boy, these drapes need to go. I'm gonna go to Home Depot and buy new drapes. And, you know, the, the, the faucet in the shower's leaking, so I'm gonna, I gotta go back and get parts for that because we gotta fix that up. And, and you know, the, these sheets, oh my gosh, the sheets are terrible. We gotta get new sheets. And, and before you know it, you spend $1,000 just fixing the place up. You're not gonna do that for one night, are you? Because you're just, it's just a temporary one night, two night or three or however many nights you're staying and then you're going to move on to something else. Maybe you're going back home, or your travel um, itinerary will lead you to another destination. And if you do that everywhere you go, uh, the hotel will probably thank you, but you won't be able to enjoy the benefits of your hard work. And some people kind of treat a relationship with Jesus or think about a relationship with Jesus as like a temporary stay. He's going to come in, and he's got to, you know, um, make all my problems go away. He's got to make me feel better. He's got to make me look better. It sure would help if he'd help my bank account out, too, while he's at it. And it's kind of like a one- or two-night stand in a hotel where we just hope he comes and fixes things up a little bit, but then, uh, you know, go on down the road, Lord. Go help somebody else because now I'm good until the next time I need you to come in. But Paul talks about it kind of like buying a new house. How many of you ever bought a a house? Wow, more of you bought a house than you stayed in a hotel. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) That probably means something, I'm guessing, that you like your house so much better than a hotel. Why? Because you're there to stay, right? You didn't buy that house on a whim. Maybe it was given to you because a family member died, but for the most part, when you buy a house, you're, you're selling in, right? And one of the first, even before you buy it, you've already noticed the things you want to change, right? Um. Normally, the woman has a list already, guys, right? Ready for you? And the wives are like, yeah, and you still haven't finished it. We're trying, all right? We're trying. We're doing our best. We start to look around, and we realize that maybe that wall needs a new coat of paint, and, and they must have had a dog before us because that room that they trapped it in, all the trim is chewed up, and maybe there's a room upstairs where the plaster is cracking, and, and all of those things you're going to start to, to improve because you're there in that house to stay. And Paul says that we would have the courage to let Jesus to come in to stay for the long term. That means we let him come in and we let him look at the paint in the bedroom or the way we interact with other people. We let him go to the upstairs bedroom where no one else is allowed to go and we let him for our thought life because he's there to stay. He goes out in the backyard when we're out there with the kids and the, and the dog that hopefully won't do any more chewing with the trim and watches how we interact with each other. And, and God wants to give us his, his presence. It is a lavish, amazing gift out of the richness of his love that we were predestined to have him to come and dwell 
inside of our hearts. It is God's plan from the beginning for us not to know about God, but to know him in a personal, deep, life-changing, eternal way. It is why you and I were born. Secondly, we have a God who wants us to live powerfully. Now, Ted, we're going to get to the power. It's mentioned more than once, and it's important for us to realize that that means something. So that we would be brought, first of all, to a place of inner strength, so that we would have the power, literally, spirit-given power, to allow God to take over. But there's more that he prays for. And he prays, um, next he prays um, the second part of verse 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This word that Paul uses to talk about power is the same word that we use in our culture for dynamite. You've probably heard that before. It's not that uncommon a discovery, New Testament especially, that we would have. But God isn't talking about, Paul isn't praying that, that, that um, Amazon Prime would deliver a box of dynamite to your house and you would have that kind of power, is it? No one raised their hand, that's good. Paul is praying that we would have a dynamic inner power through the infilling of the Holy Spirit that would blow our hearts wide open, that would blow our world wide open. It's an inner strength to know him, but it's a deeper strength in gaining his fullness in every way. It's what happened in the young man in the desert's life is he continually walked with God. He got closer and closer to God and further away from his own selfish desires. And as he grew in his knowledge of his Savior to be, he was like no other man the world had ever seen or would ever see in the future. There's growth and maturity and development. And this man, John, was destined to change the world because of the power of God in his own heart and life. The Bible tells elsewhere that we should have the faith that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead could live inside of us. I'm not sure what stronger power there is to ponder than that God's spirit, his resurrecting power would live in us to make all things new, to bring life and abundance and fullness and vigor, purpose and passion into our lives. And God wants to remind us of our destiny to be lavishly given his relationship with his son. He wants us to know a life lived full of power. But it's interesting, it's not just a thing to live with God, but there's, there's more. Remember the crescendo, the avalanche that Paul is doing. He's saying that God would work these things in, in you. And I'm thinking, yeah, so now we're going to go out and we're going to do something with it. I mean, when you take a class, it's so that you can apply it, right? You want to learn knowledge to get a better job or um, to get promoted or in order to be more skilled at what you do. But that's not what Paul is saying here. It has nothing to do with what you do. It has something to do with who you are and what you experience. And he says that you could come to the place where you are so in love with Jesus. 
you are so focused and driven by knowing him that you would be able to understand and have the power to do what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Not power to do something, but power to know something. Power to experience, power to have your life changed by a loving, creative being. I'm not sure how many times I've prayed a prayer like this myself where I ask God for the strength and the ability and the power over my own humanity so that I could just sit or stand or kneel or lay down or walk or whatever living in the full knowledge of how much he loves me. And Paul is saying that you and I as believers are destined to know this if we'll allow God to do the work in our heart so that we can. And this prayer that he talks about, rarely does he ever mention prayer that he, the position that he's praying in. And we can talk about that another time, but for some reason, he intimates it. For the Gentiles, kneeling was normal. It was a part of their worship even before coming to faith in Jesus. For the Jews, that really wasn't the way you prayed because the world, you know, the non-Jewish people didn't pray that way. Remember, Paul's talking to the people who haven't known God before. To a culture that knows nothing about him and for the most part wants nothing to do with him. It sounds kind of like the world we live in today. There are people who are a loving God who wants to infiltrate their lives, not with a power trip, but with a love offering of his own son, that they could comprehend in their hearts how deep and rich and wide and loving and pure and eternal that love would really be. If I could reword this, and I would never try, but I just thought, yeah, I'm going to try. Paul's like, before I go, it is my heart's greatest desire for you to know how much God loves you like I know how much, I know how much you love I know all the places I've been. I know all the people I've heard and the lives literally burned to the ground. I know my darkest, deepest secrets and hurts and pains. And yet, despite all of those things, do you know one thing I know? I know how much he loves me. And I want you to have that in your own heart and in your own life, a God who gives to us lavishly, a God who wants us to live powerfully. Third, it should have been up there, uh, a God who wants us to love, to love us overwhelmingly. A God who wants to love us overwhelmingly. I don't know what our collective experience is in the church, or maybe with religion in a larger picture. But we live in a world today surrounded by other religions who, for the most part, demand obedience, or you aren't in, or there's punishment. You know, there are so many laws you have to follow just in order to get in. And for many of us, that was the church that we grew up in, in Christianity. You had to dress a certain way. You had to act a certain way. You had to hang around a certain kind of people and you don't do these things. And if you kept all the rules, 
and you looked on the outside what you should be on the inside, then you probably are okay. I know I experienced that in my early walk in the church, that I had to follow all the rules and I had to do in order to be. And not many people have the kind of power to perfectly perform. In fact, only Jesus had that strength by giving his life and shed his perfect blood. Paul says, I pray that being rooted in love, rooted in this deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus, that as you walk with him, you would be able to, with all the others around you, this isn't just for one of us, this is for all of us. All the saints would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that his love surpasses knowledge. Why does Paul do that? Why does he say things like, I pray that you would know a peace that passes understanding? Or a love that surpasses knowledge? All I got for that, friends, is this, is I know he loves me. I know it's more love than I could ever fully enjoy in this life, but there's going to be an eternity someday where I'm going to get it better. Paul said we see now through a glass dimly, half full, however you want to translate that. We just get part of the picture. And when God really does come in with his transformational power, something happens in us that will forever change our life and we'll know that it's of God. He wants to love us overwhelmingly. Your destiny is to be God like no one has ever loved you before. That is for you and I, to live a life knowing that we are loved beyond our wildest dreams. And I literally mean that because of what he says next. My favorite verse, if you've come to First Friends for any length of time, you know that verse 20 and 21, and you can put the, next, the last point up on the screen, are my favorite verses in all the Bible. And we see in this passage, number four, that we have a God who can bless us immeasurably more than we think. Let me read Paul's words. He kind of closes his prayer as a benediction to God, but there's so much that's packed in here. He says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, we've been in this for a few weeks now, and it has been so hard to hold in this verse all of this time because it feels to me like it wraps everything together. It wraps the predestination. It wraps the fact that he's around us and in us when we're suffering. It wraps around us the, the reality that he alone brings salvation. It wraps around us the fact that everything that he wants to do in us is encapsulated in this verse. And then after we maybe begin to understand all that God wants to do for us, Paul lays this one on us. He's going to be able to do more than you ever ask him to do. More than you fully ever understand is the kind of God that we serve. And can I tell you, when we think about needing strength and power, I need that in order to discern that kind of God. I don't have the strength to comprehend him like that on my own. My spirit's not able to fully absorb all that God is trying to say to me in that passage, but God has destined us through the gift of his son to know it. It doesn't mean that we say amen, pastor, and God does it like that. Paul's had a lifetime of being left for dead. 
beaten, shipwrecked, bitten by, I mean, you name it, he's been there. And yet he says in all of those times, God was able to do more than I could have ever asked him or imagined him to do. And I, I hope that I get some of this. I hope I get some of my sermon, more of my sermon in me, because there's so much more to God and his plan for us than many of us have, have lived into. There's so much more love that he wants to give us. There's so much more glory that he wants us to know. There's so much more purpose that he wants us to fulfill. There's so much more of his presence that he wants us to be aware of. And if we've ever felt like we've arrived, or we wonder what else God wants to do, it may be the unexpected. It may be the last thing you've ever thought of. Maybe it was the dream you thought he would never fulfill. Or that place you never allowed your heart to go because you thought it might just be too much for God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm praying that you grasp the fact that he does more than you could ever ask him to do or imagine that he could do. And as we think, continue to think and ponder that we are people of destiny, this was God's plan for the beginning, for the Garden of Eden in its own way to be restored on earth until we spend eternity in the new garden. He's given us his spirit to walk with us and to talk with us. Well, I feel like this is a sermon I could preach all day, and we were not destined for that. We were destined to go and live our life in the light of this passage, to know him fully and to comprehend each day the ramifications of knowing an eternal God dwelling within us. Let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer and then you can go and dwell in this passage throughout this week. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the power in your word. I thank you today for the truth that is there. And Lord, this is one of those times where it just literally flies off the page. It leaps into our heart and to our mind that we have a God who has so much more for us than many times we want for ourselves. He has so much more to offer us than we even can begin to comprehend. And yet we read this passage ever as a reminder that God is here through the reading of this word today right now. Maybe we're just busy. Maybe life seems dry. Maybe we're hurting. Maybe we're trapped. Maybe we're lost. Maybe we just need a new touch. I pray, Lord, today that we could continue to understand what it means to live a life in Christ. Continue to realize our true God-given identity as followers of you. That we can have as much of you as we ask for. And yet you're so much more than we could ever ask for or imagine. We serve a God like that. We love you, Lord. And we want to be all yours. And we want to have all of you within us. To you be the honor and the praise and the glory, not just for today, but for all of eternity, Lord. We are yours, and we love you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. May God go with you today as you live fully in